Don't know how successful he'll be, but he's going to try. Glad you all are with us today. Appreciate all of your prayers. Where to begin? It was Thursday. We had Austin and Aiden with us. And Kathy asked me what we were having lunch. And Austin and Aiden, if you don't know, are two of our grandsons. Kathy asked me what I was going to preach about, and I said, I don't know, about two minutes, I think. She's going, yeah? No. I said, I really don't know. I just can't pull it together yet. And Austin said, well, Papa, I know what you should do. Just say it. Just say, he was my son and I loved him very much. And then sit down. No, but that's not quite a sermon. But an eight-year-old can say a lot. So I guess my thoughts have been from one end to the other. I'll get through this. You know, God is there with us in the midst of the dark times. It's about all I can read of my notes right now. The title of my sermon, God in the Midst of Darkness. You know, we can think of a lot of things about opposites. We define it, you know, the opposite is that which is situated place or lying face to face with something else or each other or in corresponding positions with relation to an intervening line, space, thing, such as the opposite ends of a room. It might be that which is also defined as being contrary or radically different in some respect, common to both. There was a nature or its qualities, direction, result, or significance opposed, opposite sides in a controversy, opposite directions. Being the other of two related or corresponding things. You know, what I was thinking about was, you know, some of those opposites and just trying to describe as, you know, and write in some way about the opposites that we see in life that we know about, you know, north and south, east and west, right and wrong, good and bad, moral and immoral, light and darkness. Some random thoughts about darkness. I read a lot of Thomas Sowell. He's an economist. He's an editorial writer and author. He'll do a column every now and then on townhall.com and some of the other places that pick up his syndicated column and he'll just title it Random Thoughts. I guess random thoughts about darkness, some additional definitions would be that which is the absence of light, uh, blackness, obscurity, gloom, right there, the state of privacy or secrecy, state of ignorance or error, especially when you consider moral or religious subjects, also wickedness, impurity, a want of clearness, obscurity, is the darkness of a subject or of a discussion. You know, it's just not clear. We'll talk about things having, you know, a light come on, you know, when you finally get to understanding. And a person who is visual in their orientation on how they 
take information in or how they talk to you if they do so with visual terms like that. You know, that's how they see their world is visually. Some people are more auditory. And they talk about, can you hear that? You know, because they're wanting to know if you understand. And if you hear it, you understand. If you see it, for some, it's they understand. Darkness is also a state of distress or trouble. Like I said, the last couple of weeks, I guess my thoughts have greatly been on darkness and light. You know, basically we can just say, you know, what is darkness? And if we look at maybe some science, and just briefly, this is not going to be a lecture. This might be one of the shortest sermons I've given in my life. But we just simply say some scientific things. You know, the dark object reflects fewer visible photons than other objects, and therefore appears dim in comparison. If you consider matte black paint, it doesn't reflect visible light and it therefore appears dark. But white paint reflects all visible light and appears very bright. Light cannot simply be absorbed without limit. Energy, like visible light, cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be converted from one type of energy to another. Most objects appear in, that appear absorb visible light remitted as infrared light. So although an object may appear dark, it is likely bright at a frequency that the human eye cannot see. Another scientific definition, if we will, would include the entire electromagnetic spectrum of light, not just the visible light. That which the human eye cannot detect is, so they would say, it's scientifically impossible to create perfect darkness. And I guess the black holes in outer space are those which have such a gravitational pull that even the very impulses of light in that broad scale that we cannot see with the visible eye are contained within it. All all objects radiate heat in the form of infrared light, gamma rays, high frequency light that can penetrate even the densest of materials. So at night when it's dark and it's pitch black and the sky is obscured, obscuring the clouds, obscuring the, the moon and the stars, and it's as black as black can be, there is still light given off. It just takes special goggles, glasses, to be able to see that heat signature from the infrared. Yeah, that's rather boring and mundane. But it will get me to a point pretty soon. Of course, as we mentioned before, some of the random thoughts of, you know, dealing with moral issues, you know, poetic use of light and darkness. Darkness is, can mean the presence of shadows, of evil, of depression. Some places in locales where they have no sunshine or very little sunshine, especially in the wintertime. We had a friend that we went to sunset with from Pennsylvania. In the wintertime, she had, was afflicted with what they call seasonal affective disorder. And she didn't get enough sunlight that affected her psyche. The biochemical reactions that were going on, the, the sunlight hitting the skin and the eyes and, you know, causing those chemicals in the body to process and the brain, hers weren't doing that. She needed that additional amount of energy, of light energy, to help her brain function properly. And such she had seasonal affective disorder and would be depressed in the wintertime and they had to put special lights in their house. But darkness has not only that strong psychological impact, there's also the fear of darkness. And young children are sometimes very afraid of darkness. Some parents are cruel to their children and they'll punish them 
for hours perhaps you hear stories how they'll stick them in a dark closet and lock the door and not let the child out to teach it a lesson it's because darkness is frightening then you can have fun with darkness. I remember one time we were on vacation in South Dakota in the Black Hills and we went to a cave and every time you go into a cave there's some cute, you know, operator or tour guide and they'll tell you, you know, it's so dark down here, the only way you can see when the lights are out, you have to put your thumb right, you know, your finger right here at the end of the nose and you can see it maybe. Of course he turns out the light and then he flashes it back on you to be surprised how many people try that. I didn't. Some other family members did, but I won't mention names. You have a lot of fun that way. But also within darkness, you know, there it describes and points out emotions of how we're feeling. And the world looks so bleak. In the Bible, the Bible uses darkness in contrast to light, of course. We're familiar with that. Light being a symbol of God's purity, of His wisdom, His glory. Darkness being just the opposite. Darkness being used as a symbol of moral depravity and the punishment that will follow for the wicked walk and work in darkness, according to many scriptures. It's also spoken of those things that are mysterious and are inexplicable. It's given in times of trouble and deep affliction when the righteous of God were at the end of their rope, if you will, not knowing you know, where their deliverance was going to come from. And they're in the midst of sorrow. And you can go back into the book of Judges and you all see as they went through that cycle of getting down when God sent allowed nations to oppress them because of their idolatrous ways when finally they would bow before God once again in sackcloth and ashes perhaps. And they would ask for God to send a deliverer to them. And God would always honor their prayer. And he would send a deliverer. And there are many times that darkness is used. It's used as a symbol of punishment, of ignorance, and of death. But I guess the things that I know about darkness is what's important. What I know about darkness is that in the midst of confusion and the despair of darkness that God is there. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God has created the world. And it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. God's created this world, but there was nothing. It was formless. It was void. It was a state of confusion, if you will. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening and morning and one day. And it's interesting that God created light before He created the light-giving bodies, the stars and the sun and the moon that hang in the sky. Because without creating light, the sun could not give it. God brought order out of chaos as He created this world, as His Spirit moved over the surface of the waters. Later, God would 
as we said, create those light-giving bodies, but he had to create light first. And so when we are in times of darkness and despair, the Lord gives us light. The psalmist would say in the 18th Psalm, this is merely titled as, if you will, the Lord prays for giving deliverance, a psalm of David. God had delivered him from the hand of his enemies, from the hand of Saul. I love thee, O Lord, my strength, my, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And he goes on talking about his distress and his despair. I cried to my God for help, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help came before him, came to his ears, verse 6. And David was facing death and confused and despairing. And he says in verse 28, For thou dost light my lamp, the Lord my God illumines my darkness. And when you're in despair, you're in a period of darkness and it's turning to the Lord that you find His light. His light that gives us hope, gives us deliverance, that shows us the way to the refuge that can only be found in God. Again, another passage in the Psalm, 107th Psalm, titled simply, The Lord Delivers Men from Many Troubles. And in verses 13 and 14 it says, They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their darkness. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bonds apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. And He saved them out of their darkness. So when they're in time of despair and of grief, of confusion, because that's where it's at when you're hurting, when you're at the end of your rope, if you will, you don't know which direction is up, you don't know which direction is down, you're totally disoriented by the things that are afflicting you, you are truly in a state of confusion and despair. But God wants us to know that He is there, and He is our light, and He will see us through. And so the 112th Psalm also says, Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and righteousness endures, his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with a man who is gracious and lands. He will maintain his cause and judgment. He will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. The light arises in the midst of darkness. And I know that. I may not feel that all that much right now, but I know it. My God has spoken it. The second thing I know that I do not need to fear because my God is everywhere. Psalmist in the 139th Psalm, one of my favorite psalms, talking about God's omnipresence, His omniscience, His fact that He knows all, that He's everywhere. 
The psalmist simply said, not in despair, but I think just to let us know that God was a God who could count on. That we could, did not need to fear because He was there with us. He says, where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even thy hand will lead me. Thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. God knows. And though I might like to, as the psalmist would say, and I think the 55th Psalm, take the wings of a bird and fly away to the remotest part of the earth in the midst of gloom and despair, God's going to be right there with me. He'll be right there with you. We just have to recognize that in the midst of darkness, God is there for us. He is our light, and He is everywhere. And then there's something else I hadn't thought of probably until the last few days, a couple weeks. God experienced darkness, and therefore He understands. God experienced darkness? You ask I know I hear it. I hear it in your voice. How was it that he experienced it? You don't have to say it. Rhetorical statement. Genesis chapter 3. God had already told Adam and Eve, don't touch the tree of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then what happened? They ate of it. And they saw in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man, his wife, hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not? God knew. But don't you know that his heart was broken? His heart was broken because they didn't do what God said. Now, he gave them the free right to do that. He didn't want them to be mind-numbed robots. He didn't want them to be, you know, brainwashed individuals. He wanted them to have the power to choose. He granted that to them. He's granted it to you and I. He just wants you to choose him, to choose light and not darkness. So sin entered the world. In Genesis chapter 4, we have Cain who rises up and kills his brother Abel. And I know again, God's heart is broken. And in chapter 6, and we can go on and we can see that just before the flood, and here's what it says. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent on the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I had to break his heart. The Lord God was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, creeping things, and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. He was sad. He felt the pain that any parent feels when their child goes astray. Any person feels when things just aren't going right for them and they're overwhelmed. Can our God be overwhelmed? Well, maybe with poetic license he can be. But if he feels our pain, 
he understands us, then maybe he has some of the same attributes that he feels and understands, you know, when his creation goes astray. He doesn't like it. It's got to pain him. He regrets his creation. But maybe the very darkest moment of all, and I don't know if it would have been at that time, because light was still on the face of the earth. But I think the darkest moment of all in all of recorded history is found in Matthew chapter 27. Starting in verse 45. This is the crucifixion scene of Jesus. He's on the cross. They tell him in verse 40, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The same way the chief priests along the scribes and elders mocking him saying, He saves others, he cannot save himself. And you can almost hear that, that cutting, cynical laugh in their voice. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. He takes pleasure in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The robbers also have been crucified with him with casting insult. And now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the Corinthian writer, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Simply says in verse 20, or verse 21, after saying that he wants us to be begged on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, in verse 20, he made him, that is, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin. He bore our burdens. He bore our sins, our our iniquities. And because God is holy and pure and cannot look at sin, cannot have anything to do with sin because God is the total opposite as light is from darkness. God is the brightest light that you can imagine. And sin is the darkest dark with absolutely no light, not even on that spectrum that we cannot, that it takes special instruments to see. And the world became dark. Because God could not bear to look at sin that was heaped upon His Son. The sin for everyone that had lived and died before Christ, and the sins for all those who live and die after Christ. The darkest hour of mankind's history. The darkest three hours in the life of God. And as Paul Harvey says, though, now for the rest of the story. You see, there was the dawn of a new day. Again, we turn to Matthew chapter 28. And then it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it had begun to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. And the angel of the Lord descended up from heaven and came and rolled the stone away and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his garment as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place he was lying. 
Go tell the disciples, spread the news. The rest of the story, the dawn of a new day, the emptiness of the tomb that Jesus was placed in, the power of the resurrection. Sin was judged. Darkness would rule this world no more. God took that day and destroyed sin with it, destroyed sin and darkness with his power and with his light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our God is a God who does understand those dark times in our lives. The Hebrew writer would say in chapter 4, verse 14 and following, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. And I like to read it in this way, because there are two negatives in there. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. And so if you read the negatives and canceling each other out into a positive statement, for we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. One who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. And while it doesn't do justice to the grammatical writing of the original text, that's exactly what it means. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us. He's been where we are, tempted as we are, and yet did not sin. And so he understands and sympathizes with us. And God watched him pay the price, so that with price that we would not have to pay. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And so as I preached a few weeks ago, in like an eternity, in the 46th Psalm, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble, and can I say in times of darkness. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, or the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Though anything, the problems of life that happen to us, the disasters of life, sickness, death, no matter what it is, God is our refuge. And the psalmist would say, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High, God is in her midst. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. Kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease. To the end of the earth he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. So in the midst of all the problems that they were facing at that time, from out invading armies. God was their refuge, and He wanted them to know that. And in the midst of our internal conflicts and pain and suffering, God wants us to know that He is there and is our refuge. And so He says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He was my son. And I loved him very much. He was God's son. 
And God loved him very much. And yet God, Jesus, knew that he had to pay a price so that you and I could live. And I don't know where you stand before God this day. You may be overwhelmed with burdens, despair, and a sense of darkness. But in God there is light. And John would write in 1 John chapter 1. I can't quote it. My brain is fried. I can read it though. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. If you want to have fellowship with God, it starts with believing that his son Jesus is God. That he died for you. And confess your faith that, you're, that you believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, and be buried in the waters of baptism with him. To be raised to walk in newness of life. You've done that and your burdens are getting you down. I understand. Trust me. Been down this road twice now. I don't like it. But he's still working on me. And if you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, the Son of God... I beg you to please come while we stand and sing a hymn for your encouragement.